welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We've been talking about worldview. Hopefully it's been helpful for those that have been here for the last three or so weeks because like I said, at the start, I'm a little bit sick of Christians being always on the back foot rather than being on the front foot. I think if there's anyone who needs to be on the back foot, it's those who aren't Christians because they've got a lot more trouble explaining what they believe than what we believe ultimately. So we've been looking at worldview. You might say, well, what's worldview all about? Well, worldview is simply the way that we look at life. The way we try and make sense of life and understand the big questions of where we came from, who we are, how we should act, and so on and so forth. We started by looking at a scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is good, the body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, the body will be full of darkness. And the point we made off the back of that is that how we see or what we see will determine how we live ultimately. If we see well, we'll live well. If we see badly, ultimately, we'll live badly. And so we've been looking at this whole idea of how do people see and what do people see and what do people understand in terms of some of the big questions of life. And uh, we've mentioned the fact that many people haven't really thought through what they actually believe. They've actually just imbibed it from what this world has to offer, from culture and family and the media and all that sort of stuff. So many people, by default, have some quite strong opinions sometimes But those opinions aren't necessarily grounded in truth. They're often based on preference or what's easiest. Okay, so that can be a bit of a problem. We looked at the fact that our society in which we live is going to reflect the prevailing worldview. Okay, that that view which is held by the most people in our society. And if we look at our society today, and that view will be reflected in in the morals or the values, it'll be reflected in our laws, and it'll ultimately be reflected in the priorities of the people. And so if we look at our culture today, our, just as a general you know, broad sweep across our society, what are some of the things that we see that would be an indicator of what the prevailing worldview in our culture is today? Well, many people are very aware of their rights. Many people are quite strong on what, what they are owed. There's an entitlement culture for many people. There's a, 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 a negating or a, a shunning of responsibility in our culture. There's confusion with regards to the value of humanity. Like I said, we all want rights, and yet when it comes to the value of life, there's some laws in our society that really minimise that. Someone once said, I think that uh, it's funny how it's only those that have actually been born that have a strong view about abortion. So there's all these these laws, and morality is, is a relative morality today. It's based on opinion more than anything else. Because this is sort of the society in which we're living in. And so we had a quick look a few weeks ago about the origins of, you know, what you believe in terms of where you came from will determine how you live. There's really only two options. We're either here by accident or we're here by design. That's all the options, really. You take it the next step, that has big impacts on who you are. Who we are, if we're here by accident, is radically different than who we are if we're here by design. And ultimately, that is then reflected in how we live. And last week, we looked at morality. You know, some people say all sorts of things about morality is, you know, one of the things they say is, I can do what I like as long as no one gets hurt. But I don't know too many people who actually live that consistently because most people live in ways that hurt other people. You think about much of the stuff in our society, there's a cost. 
There's a human cost involved. Perhaps it's the cost of some other person in another country being abused and, and exploited. Perhaps it's the cost of, of um, drug dealing and, and the effects of that. Perhaps it's the cost of a poor mother who's got to look on and see her kids just mess up their lives. But there's always a cost. People always get hurt when we do dumb stuff. You can't, you don't, we don't live in isolation. We're interconnected. So most people aren't very honest when they talk about not hurting others. Many people want a relative morality. They want to basically make morality an issue of opinion. Okay, not, it's not about absolutes, because again, I believe if God is real, well then morals are absolute. In other words, they're not open for discussion. They're not negotiable. But if God, if we're here by accident, well then perhaps it is open to discussion. Perhaps it is just a matter of opinion. The interesting thing is that those, even those that strongly advocate morals by opinion, when the rubber hits the road, when push comes to shove, when the crunch comes, we all want to divert back to some sort of absolutes. I'm mindful of a story of a, of a young guy who's at uni, and he's, he's in a philosophy class, and he writes this essay about relative morality. And he's, he's raving on, he's, he's doing all his research, and he's writing this assignment about why morals are absolute and nothing, uh, morals are relative, it's a matter of opinion, there's no such thing as an absolute, you like chocolate, I like vanilla, that's just the way it is. And he goes on and he, <laughs> and he writes this thing, he hands it up in a nice blue folder. And his lecturer hands it back to him a week later, and it says, F, I hate blue folders. <laughs> and, the student's pretty ticked. He goes back and he goes, oh, that's not fair. That's just not right. And he's going on. He said, but, but weren't you the one that wrote the lecture? Weren't you the one that wrote about everything being relative and it's just a matter of opinion? You like chocolate, I like vanilla. He says, well, I don't like blue folders. F, now get out of my office. <laughs> People don't live consistently with relative morality. We talked about the fact that morality is ultimately a reflection of God himself. God has put things in place because of it, they flow out of his very nature and his character and they are there for our protection. They are there for our good ultimately. And I believe on that basis, we ignore God's will at our peril. Yeah. Our sin bias, you know, every one of us, you, you, you may be aware of that word sin, but all it means is that we miss the mark. God has a, a standard for humanity and that standard is ultimately based on himself. But every person in life would know this thing to be true, that we all drift not towards goodness and rightness and justice, but we drift towards sin, which includes things like selfishness and greed and gossip and slander and immorality and all that sort of stuff. That's the way we just left our own devices. That's the way that we go. So on the basis of that, morality needs to be taught. Morality needs to be reinforced. And that's one of the points we, talk, we spoke about last week and we spoke about the week before in terms of our parenting. You know, we can't just leave our kids to their own devices and hope they get it right. They won't. It is guaranteed they will get it wrong because of the sin bias in their life. And so as believers, we need to understand that if God is real, it is reflected in who we are and it is reflected in how we need to live. And so we don't need to apologize about having standards and imposing standards on our children and expecting that those standards be upheld in our society and reflected in our laws and so on and so forth. So that's a little bit about morality. You can have a listen to the, to the MP3 or the I, I, whatever it is, what do you call it? 
Yeah, the iPod, was iTunes. You get it off iTunes if you want to have a bit more of a listen about that sort of stuff. But tonight, I want to go on to another area. Why is it, do you think, that some people really, really struggle in life? Like they do it tough, 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 and yet some people doing it tough can do it with joy. And yet other people, like the world is their oyster, and they are just living in the lap of luxury. Everything that people aspire to, these guys or girls have got. And yet sometimes we see those people not just miserable, but suicidal. What's that about? That's about what we're going to look at tonight. We're talking about meaning tonight. Because again, what we believe in terms of where we come from and who we are and how we should live leads on to what meaning is all about. Is there ultimate meaning or not? If you ask someone about what is meaningful in life, what gives you meaning? People are going to rattle off a whole bunch of stuff like love or family or achievement, success, accumulation of stuff, fame, all that sort of stuff. People are going to talk about in terms of bringing meaning into their lives. But my question is, do those things really bring meaning into your life or ultimately that's a big distraction from the real question? Are they, do those things in and of themselves bring meaning, capital M, capital E, capital A, capital N, capital I, capital N, capital G, meaning, big meaning, in terms of ultimate significance, or are these just little M meaning things? Things that for a while might give us a sense of focus, might bring some excitement and some joy into our lives, but ultimately when all is said and done, are pretty hollow. Because I think many people live in that area. They go from one thing to the next to the next. Achieving, yes. Having some fun along the way, yes. Maybe getting some wins along the way, all that. But ultimately, people live with a sense of meaninglessness. Meaningless, yeah, that's it. <laughs> meaninglessness. Some of the things that people put so much time and effort into. We talked about the footy tonight. Tony spoke about the footy. I remember back in the, the good old days, way back when, when the crows were up on the top. And I remember watching two grand finals in a row. And it was exciting, you know, just sort of following the team through the year and seeing them get into the semi-final and just win that and get through. And, and, and the grand final, we got around Tone's place and, you know, the Crows would kick a goal and we ran outside the little park out the front. So we'd go and do a lap of the park. And we'd jump back inside again and watch. they get another goal and run outside. And like, it was all really exciting. And, and they won. And it was great for about three minutes. And maybe a little bit longer, but, you know, it was like, oh, we've won, we've won. You pay out all the port supporters. I don't even think they existed back then, did they? <laughs> In a lower form. <laughs> but <laughs> they've evolved into the AFL. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, and people are driving around their cars, honking their horns, and that sort of... But, you know, when things like that happen, and, like, it's good for a little bit, but then suddenly you, you stop and think, you think, well... I feel a bit let down now. Like, that didn't change my life one bit. Like, really, what is that about? I mean, some guys stretch it out a little bit because they get, you know, get a bit of alcohol involved. And, bit, and for the guys that obviously play in the match or the guys that are you know, trainers and all that sort of stuff, you know, obviously that euphoria goes a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you have, you have great moments in your life and you, know, you have a great night and, and sort of just get home and you're on your own and you, just, you start to think, that was a great night, but 
But what's it all about? That's, that's the little M, meaning, you think about the, the time and energy and focus that is put in those massive sporting, you know, I mean, and, and AFL is relatively minor compared to what happens, you know, you see the Rose Bowl and stuff like that, the American, the World Cup soccer, and people just, there, there is such, oh, there is such fervor and such intensity and such focus on that thing for such a short, for, for a period of time, but like a day later, you know, the streets are back to normal and just carry on with your life and we're looking forward to the next four years. And, and I think all things are like that. You know, the promotion, marriage, if, if that's all that life is about, is marriage, or having kids, if that's all it's about. These things don't ultimately bring meaning. For something to bring meaning, it's ultimately got to have meaning in and of itself. Otherwise, it's just a distraction for a time. I want to read to you from a guy who's far better qualified than me to speak on this issue. Because... Some people say, well, I haven't achieved much or I haven't had much. But I'm going to read to you from a guy who has achieved a lot and had a lot. And we're going to hear his summation of everything. And so if you've got your Bibles there, if you want to turn to Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. I mean, this is ultimately, for those that were watching and listening to what Andre had, this is what we're talking about. Life can be good. Life can be sweet. But we can still have a sense of something's not quite right. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. Verse 1, chapter 1. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from his, all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And he goes on to talk about life under the sun. And he talks about his pursuit. He decides to have a, he goes on a quest. And he begins to try and establish if there's anything at all that he can do. I mean, this was a guy who had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had wealth beyond what you could imagine. We'll read a little bit further. We're going to... Chapter 2, just in case you're not convinced. This guy knows what he's talking about in terms of having plumbed the depth of human experience and being able to make a qualified judgment on whether there's meaning in just things and stuff and relationships and that. He goes, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. This is verse 4, chapter 2. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anything in Jerusalem before, any, anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I, decide, I def, uh, denied myself nothing my eyes desired. 
I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had achieved, what my toil had achieved, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And I think that term, under the sun, which is kind of recurring in the book of Ecclesiastes, is interesting. Because for those who know the story of Solomon, Solomon would know that he had a good start to life. He started his life under friendly skies. He started his life with an awareness and a sense of God's closeness and eminent presence in his life. And yet we see here that here's a man who's drifted. Here is a man whose lifestyle has kind of desensitized him to God. And he's no longer, longer living. Under, God is mentioned in Ecclesiastes. But not the God whom Solomon knew in his early days. This is a God now who, who is a far off. It's almost like a pantheistic God. It's a God who is he's almost just aloof and distant and disinterested in what goes on on the planet. And so Solomon is reduced to living a life under the sun. And again, that's not too different to the whole prevailing worldview that we, we experience in our culture today where people are living just a life, a, a naturalistic life. All we have is under the sun, it just goes on and on and it's just the same. The universe is eternal and it will just sort of, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll kick off and it'll burn for a little while and then something else will sprout. It's just like, oh, same old, same old. Nothing changes. And so Solomon was a man of incredible wealth and he goes on to talk about all his exploits and he goes on to talk about different aspects of life and he talks about achievement and he talks about relationship and he talks about the futility of accumulating much and then handing it on when you die to some idiot who could squander it in a moment. He says, what's the point of that? And he's just frustrated. He's frustrated, frustrated, frustrated with life. And then he comes to the last, well, we come to the last verse of chapter 12, and we'll quickly turn there. And he says this. It's almost like he has a, a revelation. He says, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring into judgment every deed, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Having, as I said before, plumbed the depths of life, sucked the marrow out of life in a way that you or I could never imagine being able to do so. I mean, this guy was the king. He did, you know, even today, guys that are multimillionaires and wealthy beyond your imagination are still bound by the laws of the land for the most part. There's still restraints and they're still dictated to by public opinion. They can only go so far. Not Solomon. He was sovereign. He was king. He was the boss. No one was going to question what he wanted to do. And so he did whatever he felt to do. And he came to the conclusion at the end of it, it was meaningless. He came to the conclusion that life really only has meaning if there's a meaning giver. Very logical. That meaning giver, you and I would call God. And at the end of the day, if there's a meaning giver, that meaning giver is the one who determines ultimately what is meaningful. 
The Bible is a book from the meaning giver that tells us what is meaningful. It tells us what in this life counts. And conversely, what doesn't count. We need to live according to what counts, not according to what doesn't count. Think about it this way. What's the goal of soccer? It's to get a goal. But it's not just getting the ball in the net or that you get the ball in the net. It's how you get the ball in the net. We'll determine whether that counts or not. I could think, okay, soccer, that's easy. I've seen those guys, bunch of wimps. What I'm going to do is this. <laughs> I'm going to get my, I'm going to go and, and get some gridiron pads. I'm going to put them on and I'm going to get a helmet. And I'm going to take a baseball bat. <laughs> and, I'm going to, and the moment that ball comes near me, I'm going to start swinging the bat and running like mad. Anyone gets in my way, they're for it. And I'm going to get that ball in the net. Success. The only problem is, will the goal count or not? No. And, and if you had trouble, let's just say you got taken out and you didn't actually score a goal. You might, you might decide to even get more into it. You might not leave your car in the car park. You might take your car onto the field. That will guarantee success, right? You, there's no way you get that ball. Just get one of the guys to kick it to you, open the window, wind the window up, vroom, straight through the goals. Piece of cake. Soccer's so easy. To pray for Australia. The only problem is that that's not the way you play soccer. The person or people who invented the game ultimately also put in place some boundaries, some rules. They determine what is meaningful and what is not meaningful in terms of the game of soccer. They determine what counts and what doesn't count. Likewise, God, as the creator of all things, is rightfully the meaning giver and determines what is meaningful and lets us know ultimately what counts. There are many ways that people are living their life today doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Some of them great things. But are they doing it the way that God wants them to do? Are they doing it in a manner that will ultimately count or that will not count? The purpose of life, if I was to sum it up, we talk on, on our screen up here when Andre spoke, we had connecting people to God, the church, and their purpose. That's the meaning of life. You could say it's to have peace with God and help others do likewise. That's the meaning of life. I'm not talking about how that happens because that's ultimately the difference between Christianity and many other religions. But at the end of the day, it's to make peace with God or find peace with God and then to help others do the same. If you get that right, your life and everything you do, provided it's attached to that, becomes meaningful. As a pastor who preaches, preparing for a message like this is meaningful. Preaching it is meaningful because it's about being connected to God it's about helping others to connect to God but 
If I drop my kids at ballet, that can also be meaningful, depending on where my head's at. We've got a couple in this church that are in this church because of Sally Ann just dropping our kids at ballet and having a conversation and inviting them back for coffee afterwards. Connecting what is in and of itself meaningless to something that is, it becomes meaningful. It's pretty scary when you think about it that people can live doing all sorts of things and like I said, some great things. But if, if you're not connected to God, nothing we do outside of that is meaningful. Because meaningful, to be truly meaningful, not, just, not to be a distraction, not just for a bit of fun for a moment, not just a sense of keeping my focus for a few months, years, whatever, but something that's eternally and ultimately meaningful needs to be connected to God. So in that sense, you can be the world's greatest humanitarian or a cricket player or a drug addict unconscious on the side of the street and if you... Which one of those things outside of God is more meaningful than the other? Is any one of them more meaningful in real terms? One of them is more useful in the short term, perhaps. More useful to be a humanitarian aid worker or something like that. You're going to get a few more accolades in the short term than a person who's just bombed out on drugs somewhere. But when it comes to what really counts... When God tallies up the score, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to be disappointed because they've done stuff that doesn't count in his eyes. What's that saying? I think it was Stephen Covey who said, a lot of people are going to, you're talking about success and you know, business and all that sort of stuff, but he said, the problem is for many people, they're going to get to the top of the success ladder only to realize that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Now, I couldn't quite remember the, the quote, so I looked it up on, on the internet. And then I looked up a few other things, and it's interesting that some people are saying, well, there is no wall. <laughs> and there's no such thing as a wrong ladder. That's relativism. That's what we, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Climb whatever ladder you like, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a wrong ladder. There's no such thing as a wrong... In fact, there's no wall. <laughs> well, there is a wall. The Bible tells us unequivocally there is a wall, a massive wall that separates man and God. And we've got to do something about getting over it or through it, or something or other. And I know if you take the ladder illustration too far, it, it gets crazy because it's about our works, and you know, it's not about that. But I'm just saying that you know, ultimately, whatever we do, if it's not connected to God, it's like climbing a ladder that's attached to the wrong wall. Not going to be helpful at the end of the day. If we're connected to God, everything we do, as I said, can become meaningful. What we do with our money becomes meaningful. Our marriage, parenting, our kids' sporting commitments, the schools they go to, going to the service station and talking to the per they can all become meaningful if we're connected to God and if we're connected to his purposes. All of those things can be used by him to bring something that is eternally significant. I remember an old guy who, who um, used to be in our other church and sort of um, was very much involved at the start of, the, of this church. 
And his, one of his favorite sayings was, he was a very old English guy, he said, pockets have no shrouds. Uh, shrouds have no pockets. And his point was, you can't take anything with you. When you pass on, there's nothing you take with you. You don't get to take any trophies. You don't get to take any money. You don't get to take anything from the house. You don't get to take anything at all with you. Nothing. Except for one thing. The only thing that you can take with you is another person who you've been involved in connecting to God. That sounds meaningful to me. That's something of eternal significance. That's something that goes beyond this life. Jesus said it this way, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world but forfeited your soul? Your very self was disqualified at the end of it. And you realize you got to stand on the brink of eternity looking out into the abyss of eternity and you've got nothing. And you think you've got accolades, you think you've got credit, you think you've got a whole bunch of stuff that would commend you to God. And God says, sorry, it doesn't count. It's not meaningful in this world. But if we're connected to God, anything can have meaning. Even seemingly unspiritual things. You know, as a person, you might have an interest in cars. So you might think, well, I'm going to join a car club. Now, joining a car club or, I don't know, a quilting club or something. Some, just some sort of club, any club. In and of itself, is it meaningful or meaningless? It's utterly meaningless, isn't it? You're not going to need a quilt in heaven. You're not going to drive a car or be on this life. Once, once you get to the end of this, you, don't, you can't take anything with you. So in and of itself, hey, it can, it can, it can spend a bit of time, it can t- suck a bit of money, and it can keep you focused for a little while, it can be a bit of fun. But in and of itself, it's meaningless. But you might say, ah, I've got a bigger purpose. I'm there to make connections. But even making connections doesn't make it meaningful. Because your connections could be merely, purely social connections. It's about you and your need for friends because you're lonely. Or it could be it's about financial connections because you want to network and, and promote your business or whatever. So there's, it's bigger, but is it meaningful yet? Intuitively, people know that they need to live beyond themselves. To, be, to find meaning. That's what, they, that's what they say things like family and love and achievement and they're not really outside of just themselves. So they want to connect things with things bigger than themselves. And that's why they go for footy teams. And that's why they want to help in the local community club or Lions Club or volunteer at hospital or whatever people do. They know it's about getting beyond themselves. But to just get beyond yourself for yourself is still meaningless. It still has no eternal value. But when you bring God into the equation, it might not look too different on the outside because you're still there because you like cars and you're still there to make connections. But the purpose behind it is totally different because it's about expressing God's love for people. It's about trying to, having been connected to God yourself, connecting other people to God. And so that meaning, menial 
or meaningless task in and of itself becomes meaningful if we have the right motive. Having said that, it can become meaningless again if we get so caught up in the cars that we forget what we're there for in the first place. If we get so caught up in the networking opportunities and think we can make a million bucks out of selling car parts or something to all our friends, you know, and we, if we lose focus, it can go from being meaningful to meaningless again. The crazy thing is that two lives can look very similar and one can count for nothing and one can be gripping with eternal significance and actually look the same. A mom or a dad working, dropping their kids off at school, picking them up, going to sport, maybe taking them to this hobby or that hobby. Going on holidays, enjoying a bit of fishing or a bit of four-wheel driving or whatever it is. They can, you can have two people doing exactly the same thing and one, per- one person has attached eternal significance to it because of their relationship with God and their understanding of what he's called them to. And the others are going to have a bit of fun in the process and get to the end and have a very rude shock. The legacy of atheism is the curse of meaninglessness. You take God out of the picture, you've got nothing. All I've said tonight, you can't think this up. You can't make this up in your head. You can't conjure up meaning. It's impossible. If God doesn't exist, it doesn't matter what you or I do. We get to the end of this life finished, nothing. Everything we do. I, mean, I, don't know, I don't find a great deal of comfort in knowing that my genetic material is in my kids and that they're going to go on beyond me. I mean, that's, that's cool, the whole generational thing, but really, that's a bit hollow for me. If that's all there is, if that's all, because that's all there is outside of God, all, all a humanist has got is what they can deposit into the next generation at a purely biological level. And that's their idea of living forever, assuming the human race could live forever. That's not what Christians are talking about. We're talking about a God who is beyond time and beyond space. And it's got a plan for all eternity. If you've got an atheistic worldview, if you've got a worldview that excludes God, you've only got three options in how you're going to live your life, really. We'll start with D. One's despair. And the world is reeling under despair. Depression, drugs, suicide, alcoholism, just... Excess of entertainment. People are just trying to shut out the reality of meaninglessness. Some people take another tack. They just go and hold us, bowl us into it. You know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Debauchery. Just numb my, just, just take my mind off the fact that this whole thing is a big joke. Other people are in denial. Those people that just say, oh, there is no wall. There is no wrong ladder. Hey, you can say there's no wrong, wrong wall if you like. You say there's no ladder if, you know. But at the end of the day, reality will be the thing that we're going to stand or fall by. The truth, not our perception, not our preferences. We cannot wish God away. He either is or isn't, which is what we said at the very first session four weeks ago. God is or he isn't. And we need to adjust ourselves to that reality. All the wishful thinking in the world will not change in any way, shape or form that reality. We need to prepare ourselves for that reality. The tragedy of atheism and 
false religion attached to that is that it's a distraction. It gets people focusing on things that do not matter, ultimately. And there's the very real possibility if people allow themselves to be deceived because they just accept whatever comes their way with unquestioning faith and they don't weigh things up and they don't seek truth and they just, as I said before, they just, just absorb all the nonsense that's in the world today. You can waste an entire life. John 3.16, God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The whole idea of perishing, it's, it's, it's a wasted life. It's, it's, not, it's become useless. Useless to God and discarded. Has no meaning. Has no purpose. A Christian is simply a person who has been connected to God. Who has recognized, I have got this tendency, this bias that takes me in the wrong direction. I cannot do the good I want to do. I am full of good intentions, believe me. But usually by 8 o'clock, I'm done. I'm back to the truth that I am a sinner. I am back to the fact that I cannot live out my best intentions. And a Christian is simply a person that recognizes, God, if you are real and you are holy, I'm in trouble. I need to adjust my life. I need to bring my will into line with yours. And if your word, the Bible, says that I cannot do it in my own strength, it doesn't matter how good I am at climbing ladders, there's not a ladder that gets to heaven. But it's about receiving what Jesus did on my behalf. I'm going to do that, and I have done that. That's, that's essentially what a Christian is. It can be a little bit confusing sometimes because Christians are, are normal people. They're just people who've accepted what God has done on their behalf. And the moment you do that, it's like your life begins to glow with meaning. Your life radiates meaning. Everything you put your hands to becomes purposeful or can. I qualify that because I think we can still play the fool as Christians. But God's intention is that everything that we do, everything we say, everything that we're involved in becomes life-giving and faith and hope-promoting. And even if people don't get us, even if people ultimately despise us, the world is different for us having been through it at that point. And there's something of eternal significance that is deposited in a person, even if it's just a question. That question that they are left with ringing in their head about, I don't get that person. What is it? Like Andre had with regards to talk. I don't get this girl. This girl should be on drugs. I know a whole bunch of people who are on drugs for far less than what Tori's been through. That wasn't, that wasn't an insult to Tori. That was just a reality. Many people today are on drugs because they can't cope with the pressure of their lives. Tori's had some tough things go on. And when Andre comes into her world and he sees a woman who, by all accounts, is not just surviving but thriving in the midst of that situation, there's a question deposited in his head and his heart. What is that? I want some of that. Because I'm successful. I've got what this world says is important, and yet I've got this sneaking suspicion that I'm not going to do well into eternity if I stay the way I am. I might, but if I do, it's, 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 a, it's, a, 
It's a chance. It's a hope. It's, a, it's, a, it's not based on anything concrete. But deep down, my family, my wife, my job, my success, my business cards, all the names on, all that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, it doesn't really cut it. Because it's not connected to the one who gives meaning. We need to be connected to the one who gives meaning. And we need to allow him then to make our lives more and more and more meaningful as we submit to him. Can we pray? Father, I just pray these words I've shared tonight would just ring and ring and ring and ring in our heads. Whether we're Christian or non-Christian here tonight, that something of what I've shared tonight would resonate deeply within us, Lord. Because there's probably lots of good things that are being done amongst the people of this congregation, Lord. But many of them are not attached to eternal purpose and become meaningless. Lord, for those of us that know you, but have not allowed the weightiness of what it means to not know you and what a wasted life really is, God, may you dig deep into our lives and bring conviction that we may go beyond ourselves and begin to live consistently for the sake of others. For those of us who don't know you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that offence would not rise, but rather just an open and honest accounting of life, led by your Holy Spirit. Answer the questions that people have, Lord. What about this? What about that? But I'm a good person. But I'm happy. But I've achieved or I've done that. But people have commended me. People have even thanked God for me. Holy Spirit, I pray you just dismantle those things that are not in accordance with the truth. In Jesus' name. Lord, where there's other questions that are perhaps ringing around in people's heads that are still just keeping them separate from the ability to surrender to you. God, I pray that you would answer those questions in Jesus' name. You would put them to rest. And you would save souls, Lord. That people could go from living wasteful lives, disconnected lives, frustrating lives, to living the lives that is truly life, the abundant life, life that counts now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.